Okay, so we started talking last week about um, in this bracha of tish, about teshuva, asking Hashem to bring us back with tshuva, mm-hmm. and concluding with that Hashem desires tshuva, harotzeb tshuva, He wants tshuva. So we focused a little on. On this, on a, that there's a sort of a duality there, which is not surprising. It may be the opposite of a duality, a unification. This is an example of the unification of Ratzon, where we talked about how uh, in Shmona Esrei, our goal is where, as much as possible, to be uniting our will with His will. When we find that we have a need, recognizing that as what God wants for the world. And in that sense, unifying so that it's not no longer even the, the closeness of Shema, where it's Hashem and me, and me being Mekabalhim or Mamlichim, but in fact it's Enod Movado, there's nothing other than God, and that permeates me as well, so that there's just nothing other than Him in my awareness. So this is an example of that, where... A return to tshuva would be an akiras haratzon, this is, I think, the term of Mesilas Yasharim, an uprooting of one's own will, or change of one's will. Mm-hmm. Uprooting is maybe the wrong root word we all to translate. Shuba, yeah, right, changing what you want. And through the change in what you want at the root, a change at the root changes the fruit that then develops out of the root. And that even though, yes, it's important sometimes to just go ahead and change one's actions, even if one hasn't gotten the inside part all fully worked out yet, and that can even be a way of trying to change it, really um, really the goal of a proper tshuva is that there is a change at the root, and then that will propagate its way forward into the results of the actions, which are the fruits of the root. Okay. Um... Okay, so that was sort of the, the topic that we talked about last time. I feel like we did a, and I don't see it here. Didn't we also do a Pachat Yitzchak? But why did I not add it right in? Someone came once to the Gera Rebbe, and somehow in the context of their conversation, he said, but I'm not a Baal Tshuva. And the Gera Rebbe said, then get out. <laughs> and the man was very shocked, this chassid, you know. He was very shocked. <laughs> the Gera Rebbe said, like, why would I want to have anything to do with somebody who doesn't do tshuva? <laughs> when, the, the, when the Torah talks about Bali tshuva, Mesilas Yesharim is not talking about people who were not raised religious. He's not, that's not who he's talking to. He's not even really contemplating that. Because that's not tshuva. I mean, that's, that's a return to your, to your inner roots, you know, but it's not a return to who you used to be. Mm-hmm. It's not a return to a relationship you used to have with God. Mm-hmm. That's at all credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> there is no serious sin to look back upon that you're seeking to correct. It's all growth mm-hmm. with a bal tshuva. With what we call nowadays, colloquially, a bal tshuva, so mm-hmm. that's somebody who you weren't raised with it, you didn't know. So 
did you do something wrong? I mean, yes, it's wrong. If you did things that were wrong, then they're, they are wrong. But they weren't coming from any kind of rebellion. There was no, oh, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I can't resist. I can't hold myself back. I and mean, there may have been things that you knew were wrong and you did them wrong and they need to be corrected. But for the most part, when we're talking about Bali Chuva, we're not talking about those kinds of things. We're not talking about the time that they called their brother names and made him feel bad. <laughs> we're talking about they didn't keep Shabbos, didn't keep Kashrus, didn't, you know, well, didn't know about Hilcha Shmir Salashon. So, so if you had no idea about those things, is there any turning away from God's will involved in doing them? None. You, there was no rejection and saying my will is more important than whatever God thinks. The person's not doing that at all. No Yetzirah necessarily involved in any of that. So when a person knows, so that's when the challenge starts. You know, the first time you hear about Kashra, so then you say, but, okay, so that's maybe where it begins, right? When the Torah, when Mesil Yesharim, when the Shemona Esri is talking about tshuva, it's talking about all of us, wherever we're holding, looking back and saying, there's things I did that I wish I hadn't have done. I shouldn't have done those things. And the, the bigger tshuva relates to the greater extent to which I can realize that what I did wrong was because I was putting my will over God's or my Yetzirah over God's mm-hmm. will, which only comes from having known what God's will was anyway. If I didn't know, then there's, there was nothing wrong with the will side, mm-hmm. which is where the core tshuva work takes place. So a person might have more tshuva. I, I think it's possible that a person might have more tshuva to do for the way they treated their parents or their siblings or their children, then they would have tshuva to do over the, the hamburgers they ate at McDonald's. It's possible. That doesn't mean that you don't have to change it. You've got to change it. Once you know, you've got to change. But there's, there's too much that we do know that, we, that we, we don't manage to change so fast, and that's a bigger problem. Um, I just wish I could remember. I think it must have been... I just don't want to confuse what I did on Shabbos with what I did. During the week. I assume it was Mimer Hay. But I don't know. We'll find out. Or not, or whatever. If anyone listens to the recording from last week, let me know. Okay. <laughs> but I know what we're up to. Sorry, I did a few different mamarim in the last two weeks. It's been like three different mimers that I've taught some of them twice, so then I can't remember. It's not enough to remember I did it at this table, because we did a few. We did one on Wednesday, and we did one on Shabbos, and, you know, mm-hmm. so. Then I, then I don't know. Okay. Okay. Okay, so here's an example of this. In Vayikra, the beginning of Parshas Bechukosai, if you will walk in my chukim, Hashem says, and you will guard my mitzvot, and do them, I will send your rains in their right times, and the land will give up its Produce, and the trees of the field will give forth their fruit. And the Sifra, which is the Medrash on, on Vayikra, says, What is the Torah? What's one of the things we're learning when the Torah says, If you will walk in my chukim? 
Milamid Shahamako Misave, it teaches us that the Ribono Shalom desires, Misave is like Taiva. He yearns, he craves, Shehu Yisrael Amelim Batorah, that the Jewish people toil in Torah. Toil as in, that's what we put our big effort into. That's what God craves. If you will, like please, <laughs> please will you. And therefore, we have a Pasuk that says, If only my nation would listen to me. And Israel walk on my path. Then I would virtually subjugate all of their enemies. And upon their oppressors, I will push my hand. I'll, I'll resist them. If they would only listen to my mitzvot, if you will listen to my mitzvot, then your shalom, your peace, will flow like a power, like a like a raging river. There will be a powerful force of peace for you. and the righteousness and justice for you, hayam, will be inexorable like the waves of the ocean. And your children will be like the sand of the shore. I'm not, I have to look up this puzzle because I think there was a typo here. And your, your descendants that come out of you will be so plentiful and they will not be cut off from before God. Okay, so the Torah, what he's saying is, how do you walk in the mitzvahs? If you will walk in my mitzvahs and do them, then you'll have blessing and fruit and plenty. This, he says, by corresponding it to the Torah says, by corresponding this to the idea, if only my nation would listen to me and walk in my path. In other words, how would you know? If we say, please walk in my ways, please follow my mitzvahs. So you're going to know about the mitzvahs only if you learn Torah. That's listening to God. And I think I've told this story. We had um, at the sitter party at Elishav had two sitter parties because she changed schools. And in one school, they gave sitters in the year before first grade. And the next school, they gave the sitters in first grade. She got two sitter parties. And it was a very interesting contrast between the two sitter parties. It was a very interesting experience to be able to see like that two in a row. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a third sitter party a year or two after that because one of my nieces had a sitter party in another school. So it was a very interesting thing <clears throat> to kind of see how different schools and different teachers taught, you know, thought that young children would be able to learn about their siddurim. But I was very, very struck at the, at the Orliahu sitter party. The kids got not only their sitter but their chumash. They got them at the same time. They learned how to read and they got both at once instead of a separate sitter party and chumash party, which is common. And Rabbi Goldberg spoke to the kids and he said, you know, you have here two svarim. You have a sitter, which is your words talking to Hashem, and you have your chumash, which is Hashem's words speaking to you. That was a <laughs> that was a very simple but memorable lesson, even for the parents, I think, you know, even though it was directed to the kids, it was a lesson that everyone benefited from hearing. And that's a little bit the lesson over here, right? If only they will follow on the path of mitzvos, 
which means they will listen to God's words. Because you got to hear them and you got to, in order to, to listen and integrate and then to do them and walk on the path that you know what the path is if you don't listen to the directions. So this is something Hashem desires and craves. And similarly, God says, what would I give? If only their hearts would be focused on awe of me. And keep all of my mitzvahs all of the days. In order that I'd be able to do good for them and their children forever. That's really the crux of this whole concept. God is desiring that we hear his voice. And he's saying, if only they would listen to me and do the mitzvot so that I could just fully give and do chesed and tov for them and their children forever without anything ever needing to be held back. Melameh, this teaches us, misave, that the omnipresent, that the God craves shehu amelim batorah. He craves that we work hard to learn Torah. That's what he desires. Okay, so that's with the Harotze Beshuva over there. Little piece. So now, we, we have spoken before. I want to I read a few different little selections from um, Rabbi Leichter's book on Shuva. And I've quoted him before with this concept where he says, Every great journey begins with a small step. That's nonsense because every small journey begins with a small step. And those small steps are the same. You open the front door, you take one step out. So what makes them different? We can't say that it's the end of the journey that gives the significance only to the beginning of the journey. It must be that the small step is a big step. Mm -hmm. And that if where you're headed is on a long journey, then the small step is not the same as the small step when you're going out to pick up the newspaper on the front porch. Okay. So here's how he teaches. This is a similar idea, although he doesn't give that exact, <laughs> that exact statement. He says, he quotes the Gemara, why was this world created with the letter hey? And Rashi quotes this in Bracious also. Because hey, it's open at the bottom. <coughs> it says, translates it as it resembles a pavilion. It's like, you know, you have a, an event and they put up one of those tents. Not the camping tent, you know, the awning kind of tent. It's open on the bottom in order that anyone who wants to leave can leave. Okay, now in a pavilion, there's ground over there. But in the letter, hey, there's nothing underneath it. So it's wide open. Unless you specifically want to stay in, you will fall out. If you want to go out, go. And what is the reason that the left leg of the letter, hey, is just hanging there? Never thought to ask, right? I don't know, to make you know that it isn't a ches. So that if he returns in tshuva, he can be brought back through the upper opening. People can reach, it's described as, they can bring him back, the Gemara says. In other words, there are hands that are reaching out through that upper window to help pull somebody back in. So why not let them just bring him back through the same lower opening that he fell out of? This will not happen. This is the Gemara. If one comes to purify himself, he is given assistance. 
But if one comes to defile himself, the opening is left open for him. Okay. So he says based on this, He says, the Gemara is telling us, and I'm, I'm skipping, so I hope I'll be able to keep the. <laughs> he says, the Gemara is telling us that in order to properly do tshuva, well, let me, let me take a step back. Where do we often fail? Okay, I, I can speak for myself. I have many years, decades of resolutions in Elul and Aserah Tshuva that look exactly like the same lists I had made for years and years and years before. So you get this sort of beating your head against a brick wall kind of feeling after a while. He says, what, where do we often fail with tshuva? It's that we approach tshuva by making resolutions and undertakings concentrated in the same place we failed the first time. Okay? I, 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 I'll tell you the way I hear it in conversation, I've heard myself say it, and I've certainly heard my friends say it. I know I'm not so good at checking my messages. I really have to do better with that. When you hear that statement, it's not changing. That doesn't mean it can't change, but it, at, from that place, it isn't changing. When you notice that you're doing something poorly, and you say, I really have to do that better, you don't get anywhere. This is, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry for saying this. It doesn't change. It's not successful. It's not enough to say, I'm doing it wrong. I just have to do better. I just have to discipline myself. I I just have to pay more attention. We do that, and then we find that we failed again, and we failed again, and we failed again. And we keep making the same resolutions, and we're fast. So at least we recognize that we did something wrong. We're not, you know, it's a nice start, but it doesn't get you anywhere. He says, that is not what this passage in Menachos tells us. The passage in Menachos says that if you want to come back through where you failed, you need to find a different hole to climb in. To get back in, you don't get in by going back through the door you left. That's, this is like a fascinating insight. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Gemara indicates that the essential problem of hate is not, in fact, our behavior. Where did he get that from? I think that what he's saying is that the conclusion, not just the conclusion, permeating that passage of Menachos is if a per, anyone who wants to leave can leave, and if he comes back in Shuva, they will bring him back in through the upper opening. And what it, why can't they bring him back through where he left? It won't happen. Mm-hmm. One who comes to purify himself, he will be helped. And one who is happy, one who comes to be Mitane himself, the opening is there. The way you fell through the opening in whatever this part is in each of our lives that we know we're not doing so well with, whether it's Amida, you know, our patience or our follow through or whatever it is, you know, I gave the example of the phones because it was one I heard in the last week. You know, I heard somebody say it. There were other people around, so I couldn't say, you know, 
let maybe we could use that as a starting point to like figure out what to do differently because it's not enough to say I just have to come back because what you're doing is you're trying to generate enough will to counter the will that you had that took you out which is I hate checking the messages <laughs> or whatever it is right that doesn't work so what the Gemara is saying is the problem is not so much the behavior it is rather the underlying ritsonos it's the will that is the issue. And the kohos hanefesh, the character traits, the drives inside of us that cause us to behave in ways that are opposed to the world of Torah. And that is what the mitzvah of tshuva has to address. And so conceptually, the fact that we can sin, that's the big space in the bottom of the letter hey. It's an opening so that anyone who wants to leave it's really easy to leave. It's really easy to sin. If that's where a person's desire is, it's easy. Man has free will to remove himself from the world of Torah. So if we want to fix our sins and ourselves, we have to work on the will to leave. Not, <laughs> we have to figure out what is the inner will that's causing the problem of the sin and work on that. So when the Gemara brings a challenge, so let them bring him back to the same lower opening which he used to leave, the assumption is that the way to mitigate the will to leave is to forcefully reverse it. To say, no, I'm not going to want to leave anymore. By golly, I'm going to want to go back. For instance, a person who succumbed to lustful desires in performing Averos, Taivas, should use that same inner drive to do mitzvos, and the will to leave will be reversed and transformed into a corresponding will to enter by the same opening. The Gemara rejects this possibility and concludes that it is not possible to return in tshuva through the same opening. The Gemara gives its opinion that the point of tshuva is to correct the will to leave, but that correction has to take place through an upper opening, through a different place. So, tshuva is not about changing actions, even though that's a goal. But the real goal of tshuva is changing the character traits, the drives, and the will that led us to leave the path of Torah. And we often define avodas Hashem as the extent to which we fulfill mitzvos and avoid averos, which does define avodas hamitzvos, but it doesn't define avodas hatshuva. This is a great distinction. He says it's true. Working on your mitzvos is avodas hamitzvos. That's very important. But that's not the part about the tshuva. The work of tshuva is altogether different. Its purpose is to transform our character traits so that they become aligned with the will of Hashem. It's about working on ourselves to the point where our drives and desires and all of our being are in line with the world of Torah. And therefore, when the Chazal talk about, like in Pirkei Avos, tshuva and maisim tovim, they're making a distinction. There's an avoda of tshuva and there's an avoda of mice and tovim. But you don't necessarily work on them the same way. And then a little later on, he quotes Rav Chaim Vital, exhorting us to fulfill mitzvos because each aspect of one's actions, one's speech, and one's thoughts from every single moment is never lost, chas v'shalom. And how powerful are our actions, how substantial and lofty, as each one according to its nature creates an impact on the higher realms, on the worlds of bright radiance. So a person has to always work on Torah and mitzvos to perfect himself 
And thus he will be inspired to do this with the realization that Hashem in his great kindness wants to bestow goodness upon him and is committed to perfecting the soul of the sinner so that even if he's drowning in the deepest waters of evil, everything will be returned to its source and place. No one will be totally pushed away. There are hands reaching out the windows, hoping that you'll climb up so that they can pull you back in. So we need to identify the root of our deficiencies and which kochos hanefesh prevent us from fulfilling mitzvahs properly. He goes on in the book to talk about then, how would you figure out what you need to work on and then how would you tackle it? But just coming back to the idea of the small step, when you've started with saying, where was the problem in my will? And then finding the other, a positive will that you have. Not trying to push away the negative will straight off, but saying, I have other forces inside of me. Which one can I harness? Which one can I try and build on and use to elevate myself? then you can figure out what step am I going to take to be on the path of that positive will and moving toward God. And then that's the first step in a long journey, and that first step is a very big step because it may look like a small distance. The change in your action may not be so visible. How far you've traveled doesn't look so exciting to the outside observer, but because it represents how far you've traveled inside, you're on a different path. It's reminiscent of what we talked about, that example, you've turned around, you're on the 405, but now you're going north, right? Maybe you look like you're farther away, but you've turned around. You are facing a different direction because you're following a different piece of your will. So now you are real, you've taken a very big step, not a very small step. But this idea of HaKadosh Baruch Hu having a desire for us to come back, and that this is what we seek to align ourselves with. That is really also this message of this bracha. Right? Where we say, return us to your Torah. Right? Return us to your Torah because you desire for us to learn Torah. Draw us near in your avodah. Bring us near to you with total tshuva. You want tshuva. That's a pretty strong help to just getting started. Um, I have a Tzidka Satsavik here, <laughs> which I looked up because I heard about it in a shear. And I was so excited because I had just finally gotten a copy of Tzidka Satsavik and I went to the, the paragraph that it quotes and it's not the same thing. But it was a different amazing thing that tied into this topic. It just didn't tie into the topic I was looking up at the time. <laughs> I, was looking, I was looking for it for something else. Okay. This is interesting. He says, one who keeps his heart filled with divrei Torah can be mevatel all kinds of negative thoughts. In other words, if you fill your mind with good thoughts, that will help not leave so much space for negative thoughts. Uh, negative, not, I'm not talking about like, you know, positive thinking, power of positive thinking. Negative as in bad, okay? And the other way around. If a person is filling their mind with thoughts that are really wrong or inappropriate, so it's not leaving much room for their thinking and feeling about Torah, 
However, that's when it comes to thoughts that are in the emotional level, meaning fantasies, dreams. What, what are you thinking about? What are you drawn to? But when it comes to chachma of the brain, like working things out, trying to process and organize, he says, there's no real room for evil there or badness. Like the fact that a person is using their mind, that, that's generally just a good thing. Making a decision based not on how you feel, but on thinking it through, that we wouldn't say that that tends to pull somebody off into the wrong direction and not leave room, you know. So, therefore, if a person can activate his mind, and particularly activate his mind with Torah and greater things, then that will help override the effect of a heart that naturally keeps trying to, trying to default to smaller things or lower things. That it's perfectly natural for a person's heart to have all kinds of fantasies and cravings and desire. But the solution, which is reminiscent a little of that hay, because the, the brain, right, is higher than the heart. It, it's higher on the charts and it's higher on your body too. This is significant, right? The brain is higher than the heart and therefore you can override it. It's not always so easy, but you can override it. The more time you spend thinking about Torah, then during that time, your heart's not going to be shouting out all kinds of other things that it would like to think about. Could we think about this now? It's not even having its voice really come through that way. And this helps to explain why, when we're talking about tshuva, the first statement is, Hashivenu avinu secha. Return us to Torah. Because really, that's sort of odd. Meaning, not, it's not odd that we would want to be involved in Torah, but it's a little bit funny that it goes on this bracha. If anything, maybe you should go on the one before about like knowledge and insight. <laughs> What's it doing on the bracha about tshuva? Part of the answer is these, these various ideas that we had over here, this idea that Hashem says, if only they would be busy in Torah, then they would walk on my path, right? And... If you are busy in thinking about Torah, you're activating your brain more and more, then you're kind of able to override, Mm -hmm. at least during those times, the effect of a heart that has a tendency to want to sort of wander around and do its own thing. Okay, so this is an example, sort of, of that, um, which I suppose is to answer, it could answer this question, could answer a lot of questions. How come, something Mrs. Mrs. Khan touched on earlier, why is there a bracha of tshuva in Shemona Esrei that everyone has to say three times a day? Shouldn't it be only for special occasions? Like a person wakes up and says, oh, I sinned. Then you should say a bracha about tshuva or Yom Kippur or something like that. But every day, three times a day, even the most righteous people, 
the greatest tzaddikim and Rashi yeshivas, all are saying this bracha, begging Hashem to help them do tshuva. That seems weird. They don't need to, do they need to do tshuva? That doesn't seem like they need to do tshuva. They're so perfect. So this is a very famous letter. Now, hold on one second, because I think I have this letter maybe in English translation. So I, I mean, I just remember the first place I ever saw this letter was, was this book. It's not the fire that's it's for, li- for love of Torah, but I see also a lot of it as excerpts, so that might not help us anyway. It's a really amazing letter. It's Rav Yitzchak Kutner. Maybe they quoted the whole thing. I think this is the same letter. <laughs> we'll see. If it is, then it will go. Okay. He says, My dear beloved student, this is a letter Rev. Hutner wrote to a student. It's clearly in response, you can tell by what he writes. He's responding to issues that the student brought up writing to him. Your letter has come to my hand and your words have reached my heart. You know, my, Chavivi is like my dear one, but it's not in Hebrew. You could use it between people of the same gender too. It's a sign of affection, but it's not like the way in America, in English you use my dear, like. It has to be family. You know that the core of your letter contradicts everything you say. Your letter contradicts itself. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. We have a very damaging and bad tendency that when we talk about the perfection of our gedolim, of our great leaders, we talk about the later stages of their development. So we're talking about great people, and we knew them as great when they were old. Maybe we didn't know them when they were young, but they became famous later or whatever. Meaning their full greatness only shown when they were older, so we talk about that when they were older. We talk about their perfection that they've achieved, and we skip over the ma'avak hapnimi, the inner struggle. The ma'avak is, it means a struggle, like a battle. It's that word we had in last week's parsha, vaye avek ishimo. A man scuffled with him, right? He spent all night struggling against that angel. We, we, we skip over the entire internal struggle that they had to deal with in their own lives and within their own souls. Mm-hmm. And so the impression that is left on you, he's saying, like he's talking to this person who wrote. So your impression of the Gedola Yisrael that you have received is as if they came out from the hand of their creator, you know, they were born fully developed and mature. Mm-hmm. They just popped out like that. 
Everyone talks about it. Everyone is in awe and elevates the nace, this miracle of the purity of their speech, let's say, of the, of the Chafetz Chaim. Okay, I mean, there's books full of stories of the Chafetz Chaim, how when he was six years old, you know, he was so careful with this. And it doesn't mean it's not true. But that's what everyone likes to talk about. But who knows what his battles and struggles and stumbling, where did he have failures? Where were the tests that he went through that the Chafetz Chaim himself had to fight in order to conquer his own Yitzhahara? I mean, these are personal issues. People don't necessarily talk about them. And certainly, if you would have noticed them, it would be inappropriate to talk about it, right? And by the time a person's old, maybe they've already gotten to a higher level, so people don't see it anymore. He said, this is... uh, He says, that's enough for me to say, I can give you one example out of thousands. Okay, just, you know, and it's enough, you're intelligent enough to work out how this is true for everybody. Nobody, right, we have Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakam. Nobody becomes a great Tzadik without falling. Because the kind of strength that it takes to become very great in an area is the kind of strength that it takes to pick yourself up and go forward in that area, which only happens if you've fallen. Otherwise, it just kind of flows along. You didn't develop strength to do it, it just kind of happened. Sort of like scar tissue, it's a lot tougher, but it's also a sign that there was a wound. He says the outcome of this is The result of this issue that people like to talk about great people and share stories of the great, you know, you can share stories of greatness and it can inspire you to realize that this is something a human being could do and you resolve to emulate it in some way or apply the lesson. That's amazing. But when you have someone who's a sensitive person, especially a sensitive young person who's a Baal Sha'ifa, who has aspirations person who wants to become great. And then when a person like that, who's full of yearning and excitement, has michsholim, has pitfalls, or he falls down, so he either he meets obstacles, he actually stumbles, he finds that he has gone down in level instead of up in level, he looks back on his last few months or his last year, then he sees in his eye, he sees himself as if he is not planted in the garden of God. I'm a failure. God couldn't possibly love me. I had dreamed that someday I could become great. Clearly I'm not. It's not for me. Because according to the fantasies of this youth, who wants so much to be planted in the house of God, in other words, he wants to live in spiritual serenity on the Ostesha with beautiful meadows. There's a metaphor from Tehillim, right? On peaceful waters. And be able to just savor and enjoy his Yetzir Tov. The way that Sadiqim do enjoy. 
the Shechina with their crowns on their heads, which is in Gan Eden, <laughs> okay? We dream somehow in our aspirations, especially our youthful aspirations, we would like to be like the tzaddikim, but our idea of how tzaddikim live is more how they live in Olam Haba than in Olam Hazeh. Uleidach Gisa, on the other hand, he also thinks that it means that he won't be roiled by the Yetzirah if he would achieve that. If I, could, if I were a tzaddik, then I would be tranquil, I would be enjoying my Yetzirah Tov, my Yetzirah would be non-existent in my life, and I would have that kind of perfect calm and serenity that comes of just learning Torah and basking in the goodness of God. But you should know, my dear, that the source, the root of your soul is not in the tranquility of your Yetzer Tov. It's actually in the battle with your Yetzer Hara. Mm -hmm. That's how the roots grow and how they get strong and hang on tight. That's a rather strong, remarkable thing. We've seen this kind of idea before. I know we talked about it in terms of the Yetzirah and Tov Me'od, right? <laughs> Here's the English in this version. It's page 95. The root of your soul is not in the tranquility of your Yetzir Tov, but specifically in its war against the Yetzir Hara. Your dear letter that speaks so from the heart testifies stronger than a hundred witnesses that you are a loyal, faithful fighter in the armies of the Yetzir Tov. He's, he's going back and explaining why your letter reached my hand, but your words reached my heart. And your letter itself contradicts what's in it. In other words, the student must have written that he's in despair and hopeless about himself. And what Rav Huttner is saying is, the fact that you feel so dejected about not being where you want to be is testimony that you are exactly who you need to be. Because what you desire, your ratzon is, to become somebody greater. The fact that there's a Yetzirah and you're feeling it and you're struggling with it, that's not a sign of failure. It's a sign that you're on the right track. <laughs> Yesterday in Shir, I came up, we are saying, the fact that people are not perfect, that's what we would call in like technology industry, it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> we were created that way. That's what we're here for. In English, we would say, lose a battle and win the war. Rev Huttner lived in America for many, many years. He came from Europe, but he was in America already from when he was pretty young. 
in English we would say lose the battle and win the war. In other words, have said crowd, lose a battle and win the war. Okay, he translates it into Hebrew, but it's not a saying. I mean, maybe nowadays it is, but it wasn't like a, a, a term, you know? So just to say it in Hebrew words wouldn't necessarily do the job. Certainly, yeah, sorry. But he's talking to the student who wrote the letter. Yeah. Many of the other students felt the same way and didn't write That's the right. letter. They just Which is the value of publishing. Struggling. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully they were around in here. You know, in the same way that we've seen these ideas before, mm-hmm. we just didn't put them like that. Mm-hmm. It's possible to hear the ideas. If they were studying with him, mm-hmm. then they might have heard these ideas from him just not targeted that way, right? Who knows? We ho- one hopes, right? But that certainly makes it a value that his students later, after his death, published this letter. This letter is published in a collection of his writings. So you don't publish all the letters, you publish the ones that, that would have value to everybody, right? Okay. So certainly you are going to fall. That's not, <laughs> this is not a surprise. And you're, hey, not only have you fallen, you're going to fall. He says, this is not putting an eye in her on you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not that I'm wishing upon you that you will stumble. It's just a fact. You have stumbled. So even if you don't tell me how you stumbled, for a fact, it must be. Who hasn't? You've stumbled, and you're going to stumble. And this is not opening up, called opening the mouth of the Satan, right? Like helping him in his court case to accuse you. And there will be battles in which you will lose gloriously, <laughs> so to speak. You will, you'll be wounded. But I promise you that after losing all those battles, you will emerge from the war as a whole with a crown on your head, meaning victorious. And you will have sort of holding the prey between your teeth. In other words, like, a, like an animal that goes in to get the food that it needs and comes out bloodied and scarred, but it's got what it went in for. I promise you that you will come out from the war. You may fall in the battle and be wounded, but I promise you that after losing all those battles, you'll come out from the war as a whole crowned with victory. The wisest of all men, meaning Shlomo HaMelech, said, Sheva yipol tzadik vakan. Seven times the tzadik falls and gets up. Vehatipshim choshrim, fools think that what Shlomo HaMelech meant was, even though the tzadik falls seven times, he nonetheless gets up again. But wise people know very well, how do people know something very well? You know things very well as if you've experienced it personally. <laughs> okay. Wise people know well that the intention of Shlomo HaMelech was that Mahus Hakima Shel HaTzadik, that the very existence, the fact of the Tzadik rising up is because he fell seven times. You don't, you don't say that somebody got back up if they didn't fall. 
So if the definition of a tzaddik that Shlomo tells us is he falls seven times and gets up, he couldn't have gotten up if he hadn't fallen. And what makes him a tzaddik is that he got up. Not that he started off standing, was born in a standing position. It's that he had to pull himself up. But you can't pull yourself up if you hadn't fallen. Vayaris kol asher osa tov me'od. And he quotes the Pasuk in Bereshis. God saw all that he had done, and it was very good. And this is after creating man. Tov z'yetzer tov, me'od z'yetzer hara. Tov, that's the yetzer tov. Me'od, which as we know from Shema, also means effort. Bechol me'odecha, right? With all the effort, that's your yetzer hara. That's very good. Ahuva, ahuvi, my, my precious one, the one that I love, my dear student. I, I hug you to my heart, which is a nice thing to hear if you're far away from your Rebbe, right? I hug you to, your heart, to my heart, and I want to whisper in your ear that if your letter had related to me all the mitzvahs and maisim tovim that you've been doing lately. <laughs> Dear Rebbe, I helped somebody cross the street and I bought groceries for them and I gave tzedakah. I would have said to myself, I got from you a good letter. But now that your letter tells me, but that you're writing to me a letter about your coming lower and your falling down and your stumbling and your mm-hmm. obstacles, Hinini Omer, you know what I say to myself? I got a Tov Me'od letter from you, a very good letter. Your spirit is stormy because you aspire so much to be a great person. So I beg you, don't allow yourself to imagine that the greatness of the great rabbis is because they have a one-sidedness to them, that they're all Yetzir Tov. Mm -hmm. Instead of that, paint a picture in your mind. Like, I want you to understand that the greatness of the great people in the world is signified in the awesomeness of the battles they have had to fight with all of their lower instincts. Not to think they haven't got them. What's awesome about it is how they fought them. And then at a time when you feel inside of you a Yetzirah that is storming, know, let that, let that really speak to you now that you have this knowledge, that you are much more similar to a Gadol when you're fighting your Yetzirah than when you are sitting at perfect peace with your Yetzir Tov. It is exactly and precisely in those times and places that you find yourself trying not to fall. 
It is exactly then that you stand up and become a vessel for excellence in Kavad Shemayim. I don't want to deceive you. Sorry. You don't want to deceive me. You're scared that you're fooling me, that I am misle- I'm mistaken about you. You're, I know that you're probably worried that I think you're a lot better than you really are because I don't really know how bad you really are. You know, you may be sharing with your Rebbe all your tr- struggles and frustrations, but there's some that you probably aren't even mentioning. <laughs> and if I only knew those, then I wouldn't think so well of you. And, and seven times more than that. He says, but me, what does it worry me? <laughs> What does it worry all? What is what does that bother me? As far as I'm concerned, this past winter, you've learned a lot of Torah, and you've reviewed your maseches. You can't deny that. That's just a fact. And the fact that you did this. The fact that you learned Torah properly this winter, even when all of these other things were going on for you, in this is hidden the secret of the victory in the struggle against your Yetzer. It's interesting how it comes back around to this idea again of hashivenu avinu l'sarasecha to get to hachazivenu v'shuva shleim alafanecha. So you wrote to me. You said... I will never forget the desire that I once had to succeed and to grow and to move from level to level. But now I have lost hope. That's what the student wrote. I don't know how you can have the chutzpah to deny the living truth. Did we not see that just in the last few months, you moved from strength to strength in the base medrash. We, what, what kind of nerve do you have denying the simple truth? You sat and learned Torah and you improved. It's an interesting way of arguing with him, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that's a verifiable fact. We all saw it. So I realize that it's not because you're such a chutzpah, chutzpah dick arguer. You're not really denying the truth. It's that whenever you find that your Yetzer Hara is getting the better of you, Martha, whenever you found that your Yetzer Hara was getting the better of you, you were kind of naive. You were simple. And you thought, obviously, all hope is lost. Right? So you didn't attribute much to your success because you could see these other things and you thought that they meant you were failing. Mm -hmm. Your words... (laughs) Your words make me laugh. (laughs) Your, your, Your poor lost hope, he says. Really? I share your burden with you. 
I feel for you. It's not easy. It's, it is a tough thing to have to carry. Is this the author talking? Yeah, this is Rav, Rav Huttner. Yeah. He says, the truth is, I feel for your burden. It's not easy. He's not laughing at him that it's hard. He's laughing at him that, like, isn't that cute? You, you were so childish, you thought that if it's a struggle, therefore you failed. And that all the signs of success are meaningless. He says, but really, it is a very hard, it's a heavy burden to carry. But the heavy burden is the womb of greatness. That is the environment in which you become great. I have seen your face when you are learning Torah. And I have seen your face when you are listening to a shir. And I have seen your face on the seventh night of Pesach. And in the signs that were engraved on your face at those moments that I noticed you are signs of ultimately the kavod is coming. There's a uh, Honor shall come in the end. It's a long battle. This is very reminiscent of the Pachad Yitzchak, same author, right, that we read on Shabbos about Yaakov and Yisrael and how this characteristic of Yaakov is wounded in the leg until the sun comes up. And then he's whole, this perfection, but it's achieved at the end and in the meantime. It's not perfect. Ein shvil hakavod mispatel derech mishor. The path to kavod. He doesn't mean people honoring him. He means being an honor, an honorable person. That path is not a smooth path. It's not a path through a plain, or I guess here it would be like a prairie. Shvil hakavod over mistovev kenachashal derech. Rather, it winds like a serpent, which is a description of a road, but also of a Yetzirah, right? It winds like a serpent and a, and a snake all over the place. It's, not, it's indirect. So do you feel that there's a Yetzirah, there's a snake inside of you? That's the Pasuk says, He'll bite you in the heel, you'll step on him on the head. It's amazing new insight into that puzzle and mm-hmm. The snake will be there and it will bite you in the heel, which could bring you down. But when it bites you in the heel, now its head is in contact with your heel, <laughs> which means also that that's your moment. It's when he's biting you in the heel that you can be crushing him with your foot. So I have seen it proper to respond with all these words in writing. And the reason is because I hope that you will then be able to review them occasionally when you need to hear them again. If I would say this to you, you wouldn't be able to look it over. It is understood that what I'm talking about here is the overall approach. With regard to any specific details, right? Like, there's some particular issue that you feel you don't know how to overcome, then it would be best for us to speak directly face to face. 
See, he's not denying that you might have to do something to change, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the ichor, the root here, is the ratzon. The root is the path. Do you have the overall path? And from there, you can figure out the steps to take. You are the one who is planted in the house of God. He's referring back. He says, you feel like you're not. You are the one who's rooted in the house of God. I share in your burden. I have confidence in your victory. And I pray for your success. Mm-hmm. Yitzchak Kutner. That amazing. Those are very beautiful ways to live. <laughs> that an amazing, amazing letter. It's, <laughs> the whole letter, you have to wonder, the same question that he asked. I, I'll make copies of the letter. So, yeah. I, I forgot that this letter <laughs> exists already in English. There's a few places where they skipped a little bit here or there. But... Um, As he says, you know, why is it that everybody, why is it that everybody only talks about the great people as if they're all success? Mm -hmm. But you could say the same thing about his entire letter, right? How come somehow we don't hear about this? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not the way to talk for children. I don't know. But at some point, in our lives, we need to know that. And I think it's even as kids. Maybe it doesn't have to be told directly. Maybe the message is, is just seeing it. When you see that your parents or your grandparents or your family or your friends don't think less of you from knowing that you've had failures. That might be the, the greatest lesson of all, that they're still there and supportive, right? Which is, you know, also has... Okay, so we'll continue next time. I have a little bit more... Um, on this topic of one who comes to be Tahor is helped. So we'll do that. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah coming up. Coming up. <laughs> really soon. Yeah.